Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day and happy March Madness Day for those who celebrate. There's just something about this podcast that causes massive deals to go down as soon as we start, or just before we start. But anyway, Freddie Freeman just signed with the Dodgers. Earlier in the day, Chris Bryant signed with the Colorado Rockies. We've got rankings debates and much more. But gentlemen, let's just jump right in and start with Frederick Freeman signing with the Dodgers on a six-year, $162 million deal will join the fourth highest scoring offense last season in the Los Angeles Dodgers. Scott, obviously, the resume speaks for itself. One of the best hitters over the last decade in and Freddie Freeman. Uh, the ADP as of now is 16.2. I know you have him ranked a little bit higher than that. Are you thinking about potentially moving him a couple more spots with this move to the Dodgers now? You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of a mess there at the round one two turn for me. I'm not exactly sure yet what I want to do. Obviously, the format makes a difference. You got to factor in the steals potential of a Kyle Tucker, of a Mookie Betts. But I also factor in the position scarcity angle with Devers, Rafael Devers. I don't know. I mean, the fact you know, Freeman is just so reliable, right? Absolutely. Just pencil him in for 330, 90, 90 every year, potentially even more than 30, 90, 90. And, uh, he's going to be in this loaded lineup now. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess I'm still going to, I guess I'm still going to prioritize Freeman first of that group. I don't know the Devers thing. I, I really like the idea of taking Devers early when I've tried it. Mm-hmm. So maybe behind Devers, I, I, I guess that means I'm pushing Devers into round one, right? If I'm saying I want Freeman over Tucker and uh, Betts, do I want him over Betts? Wow. You can tell I've really thought this through, right? Hey, I mean, this is breaking news, right? We're talking it out on the fly. This this news literally just came through, right? I mean, look, we knew he was likely going to sign with one of the best teams in baseball, but let's get Chris's thoughts. Chris is back in here. Again, Freddie Freeman signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers on a six-year deal. And Chris, you already had Freddie Freeman ranked as your 11th overall player. Uh, the only hitters ahead of him, Shohei Otani, Bryce Harper... Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and then obviously the other big names that are going, you know, in the first half of the first round. I, I assume your ranking all along was um, based on him going to one of these big teams like the Dodgers or Yankees. I mean, it's Freddie Freeman. Right. I don't care that much where he goes. This is better, obviously. It's a better lineup. It'll turn over more often. He'll have <clears throat> marginally more run and run scoring and run driving in opportunities, although it's not like it's going to be like, 20% difference. Braves were still a good lineup, but it's mostly just that like Freddie Freeman is effectively a perfect hitter. Like there's nothing that he doesn't do at basically an elite level. I guess his chase rate is 64% is, is 64th percentile. That that's the, the only thing he does 
at a slightly less than well above average rate. He crushes the ball. He hits a ton of line drives. He was 100th percentile in average or an expected batting average last season, 320. He was actually better than his numbers. You know, last season, I guess a bit of an underwhelming season for him in that he only had, you know, an 896 OPS and 83 RBI. But the underlying numbers last season were just as strong as they've ever been. So it doesn't move the needle all that much. Just like Matt Olson going to the Braves is a better lineup, better park, doesn't move the needle all that much for me. When you're, when you're talking about this caliber of player, there's only so high you can go. Like, yes, the chances of Freddie Freeman having 120 run, 125 RBI, 38 homer season are probably higher now. Dodger Stadium, better park for left-handed power. His expected home runs in Dodger Stadium last season, 44 versus 36 at Truist Park. So, yeah, I think there's marginally more upside with Freddie Freeman. It's also nice that he's almost never a zero in stolen bases. So, yeah, like, I I don't know. If he had signed with the Rays, maybe I would have moved him down. You just, people don't like hitting there. So maybe there there was some more risk of that. But same league coming off a season where the underlying numbers were still elite, the overall production still extremely good. It doesn't move the needle for me one way or the other. All right, and... Just take a walk with me down Narrative Street for a second here because he's going home too. I mean, he's a California boy. And I just, I wonder if we're going to learn about details, about contract talks. I could just see Freddie Freeman, like a fire being lit under him. And he just goes out and has just a massive, massive season, like potentially the best of his career, like 300 plus batting average, 40 homers, all these runs, RBI, you know, five to seven steals, which he normally chips in. It just would not surprise me uh, in maybe in Dodger Stadium with that lineup around him. So he's always been capable of that. Sure. You know, like that's that's the thing is that we saw a version of that in 2020 when he won the National League MVP. Obviously, it was a smaller sample size, but like. Freddie Freeman, he made a mid-career leap around 27 years old, and he's basically been one of the five or ten best hitters in baseball every season since. All right, he is a bona fide first-round pick in head-to-head points leagues, and he's right there on the turn for those who play in roto and category leagues. Let's talk about Chris Bryant, who earlier in the day signed a pretty massive deal himself with the Colorado Rockies. Got seven years, $182 million. Good for you, Chris Bryant. I, I am... I am truly ecstatic whenever players get paid, and man, he he got Chris the bag. Bryant got more than Freddie Freeman. <laughs> oh my! It's what happened. I don't understand. What are we it, even man. doing? I don't understand what's going on right now. But yeah, the financials Rocky's on the Freeman thing is is weird. Yeah, like they trade off right. Arenado. You think that you know they're but they're like, doing the Rocky thing where like they're not competing, and then they go out and sign Chris Bryant. It's interesting. But if the f- if the Rockies had signed Freddie Freeman, if that had been a scenario, he probably gets more than Chris Bryant did, right? Like, yeah, this is clearly, definitely a they obviously overpaid to get it, well, Freddie and it's Bryant, it's but. not just they overpaid; it's a we're a Mickey Mouse organization tax. Like the Rockies are arguably the worst run organization in baseball, so like it's not surprising that they had to overpay to get Chris Bryant. Yeah, but why would they do that? Is the question when they when they just traded away Nolan Arenado because supposedly they didn't want to Scott, that contract and, and now. I, I just said the whole thing about okay. the Mickey Mouse organization. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, it, but it really like from what we understand about the way the Rockies organization runs, they are not at the bleeding edge of uh, baseball <laughs> thought. I think is the nice way to put it. I mean, there was. They, they recently fired their, like, just the, the guy they just hired to head up their analytics department. They fired him, like, five months later um, with no, like, no real story about it, but some whispers of, like, yeah, they just weren't going to listen. And so it just, it kind of seems like the Rockies just have no plan. And it's just whatever Dick Monfort feels like doing at a given time. And that's why. For me... As someone who wants to see Chris Bryant hit 310 <laughs> and put together like a massive stretch of seasons, yeah, I love it. And I yeah, think that's entirely kind of within the realm of possibility. Chris yeah. Bryant is pay- playing at Coors Field. Like we, we came up, we tried to come up with interesting things 
Fantasy-wise, to say about Freddie Freeman going to the Dodgers, the truth is most transactions don't have major fantasy implications, even if they're major transactions. But Chris Bryant to the Rockies does. Like that, yeah. in, in terms of altering a player's fantasy value, that was the biggest move of the day because at, at, at right precisely at the point in his career where at least I, I feel like his pr- productivity was was most questionable because his average, the way he impacts the ball, average exit velocity isn't just middling, it's subpar, and it's been subpar over and over again. And he managed One could to, say it's Nolan Arenado-esque. Well, even worse, even worse than Nolan Arenado. But, you know, he managed to succeed in spite of it last year. We don't know how consistently the new ball was being implemented, and it seemed like he might be on a razor's edge. I, I was planning to call Chris Bryant a bust. He's, he's in my bust 2.0 currently. But now that he's going to the Rockies, I mean, Chris alluded to Nolan Arenado and the similarities between their their hitting profiles. You saw the way the, the change in Arenado's numbers going from Colorado to St. Louis. We could see the opposite change yeah. for Chris Bryant going from San Francisco or Chicago or you know wherever you consider he came from to to Colorado. Anybody who makes contact at a reasonable rate in Colorado has the capacity to hit 300. It just, mm-hmm. you get so much help on balls in play there. And, you know, it wouldn't take much for him to hit 30 homers either. So <clears throat> I know we've all moved him ahead of Nolan Arenado in our rankings based on this news. He's, he's a borderline top 50 player for me now, is Chris Bryant. It's, it's, it's completely transformative. Wow. I guys. think you can make an argument for him ahead of Austin Riley. I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet, but mm. I think he has more upside than Riley, and I'm not sure he's any riskier. Like th- this is I, 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 there. There are not a lot of examples of the Rockies acquiring a hitter who is relatively in their prime, who is like a high level performer. The most recent one I could find was Michael Kadire, and this was back in 2013, I believe. And Michael Kadire was three years older than Chris Bryant. He was entering his age 33 season. His pr- three prior seasons to getting to Coors Field. He hit 276, 341, 465 with a 24 home run per 162 game pace. In his three years with the Rockies, Kadire hit 307, 362, 525 with a 27 home runs per 162 game pace. The home runs actually didn't go up that much. Course Field is a really big park for, you know, as much as it increases offensive production, but in the humidor era, it's not this outlandish home run park that you know, it's it's not the place where Ellis Burks used to hit 44 home runs. Um, but it's a really, really, it's still the best offensive environment in baseball, and there's not really a close second place. And I could see a scenario where Chris Bryant hits 310 with 35 homers and a bunch of runs in RBI and chips in some stolen bases too. I, I think it's it's just such a good outcome for him that, I think he's right there with Austin Riley. Yeah, I think, you know, Scott, you hit it on the head. You mentioned that we you moved him ahead of Nolan Arenado. We all did. Uh, he's inside the top 60 for each of us. Scott, you have him at 52nd overall. I have him at 56th. And look, Arenado, when he was with the Rockies, he was a career 293 hitter in the eight seasons he spent there. Then last year, he hit 255. It's not crazy to think that Bryant can add, you know, at least 20 points of batting average, but maybe even more than that. So uh, I saw this projection spit out on Twitter from Todd Zola, who's, you know, one of the best fantasy baseball minds in the industry. 283, 29 homers, eight steals. And he says that's like Paul Goldschmidt territory. And Paul Goldschmidt's like a top 50 player being drafted. So I think that that is a conservative to me. Yeah. (laughs) And and maybe a projection should be conservative, but it, it, yeah, that seems conservative to me. All right, yeah, so Chris Bryant, way up there. I know you guys just did a salary cap auction draft, and you told me beforehand, but Chris Bryant went for $18, 18 right? $18 in a points league. And yeah. that was $1 more than Arenado, right? $2 more than Arenado. Same price as okay. Austin Riley. It's it's kind of... Unless way, you have I'll a be context back in for a few the way minutes, I'm just going points. on CBS Sports HQ. Okay. Bye. I'll be right Okay. Um, unless you have uh, context for how head-to-head points auctions play out you know uh, stating the number that the dollar amount that they went for raw like that doesn't mean anything but um, yeah 
Yeah, I would say the fact that he went for the same amount of, as Austin Riley and for more than Nolan Arenado shows that mostly people are on the same page with this. Somebody asked if this hurts Connor Joe, someone that you and I like quite a bit. And it seems like Chris Bryant is going to play in the outfield. They have Ryan McMahon, who plays third base. You know, they can mix and match, whatever. Um, but roster resource has Sam Hilliard in center field, Rymel Tapia in right field, Charlie Blackman at DH. Do you worry about this affecting our boy Connor Joe? Not in a significant way. I mean, it, it's ultimately going to come down to to how much the Rockies want to play him. And, you know, they, had, they have an additional lineup spot now with the DH coming to the NL, obviously. And what have what have Sam Hilliard and even Ryan Miltapia shown? Not a whole lot. So it seemed like the Rockies were committed to playing Connor Joe down the stretch last year. I suppose that could change. But until until I hear them say this is our starting outfield and it doesn't include Connor Joe, I'm going to assume it does. All right. So the stock way up for Chris Bryant. I would argue, Scott, you said that this was the biggest move of the day in terms of fantasy value, I would argue this is the biggest move all offseason in terms of somebody gaining value is Chris Bryant to the Colorado Rockies. So moving up about you know, 40, 50 spots in ADP inside the top 60, top 50, and it's warranted. Other news and signings from the day. Hit the music. He's going home. He's going home. Zach Greinke, he signed a one-year deal. $13 million with the Kansas City Royals. Last year, 4.16 ERA, a 1.17 whip. The strikeouts plummeted, but he did provide 171 innings, so still has the volume there. Scott, I looked a little bit deeper. He got destroyed his final four starts. I didn't realize that. He had an uh, 11.74 ERA, those final four. His first 26 starts, 3.41 ERA. I know -hmm. that you've been on Granke all offseason. What do you think about this move, the landing spot with the Kansas City Royals? Look, I'd rather him be with a contender, though you know, the Royals are about to break in a lot of exciting hitters. Bobby Witt, potentially, as soon as opening day. Uh, Nick Prado, that's the name. Nick Prado and MJ Melendez right behind him. I was thinking Eric Hosmer, man. <laughs> no, Nick Prado. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think the Royals are going to be a bottom-of-the-vision club, is what I'm saying. I don't think they're going to be contenders. I think they're going to be right there around 500. And, uh, you know, Granky will be a part of that because I still think, obviously, since I've been talking him up as a sleeper, I, I still think he has something left. He didn't, there wasn't a clear loss of stuff last year. You mentioned for the majority of last year, he looked pretty normal. And uh, going to a bigger park only improves his chances of rebounding. Plus, he's he's in a division with some pretty suspect lineups, right? I guess not so much because the Royals is one of the more suspect lineups. Yeah, he's got the White Sox. They're a good one. Twins, I think better than They're pretty good. They're solid. Pretty good. Tigers Um, are getting better, but still aren't great. Cleveland stinks. Whatever. Like, they're so bad. (laughs) (laughs) They have Jose Ramirez, but I mean, geez, they are so bad. So, all right, start Zach Greinke and all your uh, matchups against the Cleveland Guardians this season. The ADP for Greinke is 285. Scott, rank this group of four. Tony Gonsolin, Alex Cobb, Carlos Carrasco, Zach Greinke. They're all going within six picks of each other. (sighs) Okay, so it'll probably make a difference, points or categories. And just how my team build is going, what kind of risk I want to take on. Uh, but if you're forcing me to just come up with one rank list for those four, I think I go, I think I go Granky one, Carrasco two, Cobb three, Gonsolin four. Mm. All right. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a great group, uh, great group, right? You've talked up to Tony Gonsolin basically all offseason, but uh, those are some fun pitchers to target later on in your drafts. Scott, you mentioned Bobby Witt, and all of a sudden, third base might not be so bad because Bobby Witt Jr. apparently is going to be given an opportunity to win the opening day third base job with the Kansas City Royals, which means Adalberto Mondesi will be the starting shortstop. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but Scott, I mean, do we have to move Bobby Witt up our overall rankings? Obviously, you know, he doesn't have third base eligibility yet, but sounds like he could Mm -hmm. be up soon. Lots of upside, prospect pedigree at a position that we really could use it. Well, within the shortstop ranks anyway, because of course that's the only place he's eligible right now. I I don't feel like I have room to move him up. I already moved him ahead of Willie Adamas earlier. 
And so I, I feel even more justified in doing that as much as I like Willie Adamas, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he still has to win the job. But I, I agree that it's it's a pretty big deal that third base is, is what they're thinking for him. And uh, we presumed it would be second, I think. That, that's what I presume. Nicky Lopez at short, Mondesi at third, Witt whenever he arrived at second. But yeah, third's more valuable for sure. You currently have Bobby Witt six spots behind Anthony Rendon in your overall rankings. Would you maybe put Witt ahead of Rendon with the idea that he's going to gain third base eligibility? Not right now, no, because he still has to win the job. And I okay. think he'll win the job, but it's not with enough conviction yet to to make that move. If he does win the job, I will move Witt ahead of Rendon in categories leagues and roto leagues. I wouldn't in points leagues, though. Obviously, that's that's Rendon's better format. All right. And speaking of Anthony Rendon, said on Wednesday that he's 100% healthy entering the season, not dealing with any lingering effects of the hip injury. He is one to watch throughout spring training, make sure that he's feeling well. Obviously, he can move around and how he's doing in the batter's box as well. Jock Peterson signed a one-year, $6 million deal with the Giants last year. He hit 238, 18 homers, two steals. The Giants love to platoon, so I don't think he's going to be an everyday player. I mean, I think it's probably more so for for deeper leagues, Scott. NL only, maybe 15-team mixed leagues, but uh, what do you think yeah. about Jock Peterson to San Francisco? Yeah, he's kind of an afterthought even in those deep 15-team roto leagues, and I agree. Uh, it's, he's just he's just a he's just a cog in the machine for them. Like he, he pretty much was with the Braves last year too. He wasn't by the end. He wasn't one of their starting three outfielders. So I, I think even more so with the Giants and um, not the greatest park to hit in either. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, especially for left-handed power, right? So uh, Oracle Park has played up better recently for offense, but still not great overall for left-handed power. Uh, we've got a bunch of news, actually, so let's just hop around here. Cardinals new manager Oliver Marmol said that he likely won't have a set closer to begin the 2022 season. Obviously not good Good news for Giovanni Gallegos, who has fantastic stuff. Great ratios, strikeouts the past couple of seasons. Whatever reason, they are just hesitant to give this guy the closer role. Scott, does that mean we avoid Gallegos for now? Do we push him down the relief pitcher ranks? So I've kind of, my, my opinions on Gallegos have been kind of all over the place, right? Uh, I, I, I have said before that I think people weren't accounting enough for the possibility that Cardinals don't want him as a full-time closer because they never have before. And then I acknowledged just that just last week that it sounded like, you know, early interviews from people in the Cardinals organization that they were using the word closer with him. Now the manager drops this line. I don't read a ton into it because I feel like this is just the default thing managers say when they don't have, you know, they don't have like an Aroldis Chapman or a Kenley Jansen or somebody who's been in that role for so long. This is just what they're supposed to say now is, oh, we don't have set roles. Just, you know, the you could lose the game in the seventh inning. Like, that's just the right thing to say for managers now. They'll get criticized if they don't say that. But, of course, that's not usually the way it plays out. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still a little concerned about them preferring Gallegos in sort of that fireman role bridging from the starter to the closer, maybe going a couple innings instead of just one. But I, I I think he's still the heavy favorite to to lead the team in saves and by a considerable margin. I think there's a level of gamesmanship involved too, Scott, where you know, if you don't have to reveal that someone is pitching in the ninth inning, why would you, right? I mean, you don't want to you know give it away to the opposing team, right? So... Um, I think that we see a lot of that in baseball as well. Yes, Chris, I see you waving your arms. You are back, and nobody can hear you because Hi. you were muted for a second. How you doing? How was your hit on HQ? Oh, it was great. Big movie great. star, that Chris I think every, everybody was happy about it. <laughs> all right. I, I just, I got to say, the commenters are all wanting me to react more emotionally to the Freddie Freeman signing. I was trying to avoid it. Because I think people are getting tired of it, but the com- all the comments are telling me otherwise. So I will sit back and let you go, Scott. It, Let's it, just I, I do want to say it. It kind of sounds like you're gearing up for one of your uh, 
Michael Buttry bits. I'm not. <laughs> no. It would probably make it better though. So they get they paid Matt Olson a hundred they they paid four prospects and 168 million to Matt Olson. The Dodgers get Freddie Freeman for 162 million. That's point A. Point B is it sounds like if, if reports are accurate, the highest the Braves offered Freeman was $145 million over five years. So, Heyman just said $140 for what it's worth. I've seen others say $145, but maybe it is only $140. For that extra year, it's, it's not as much more money total as you'd expect for getting an extra year, right? I feel like it doesn't make sense for Freddie Freeman to do this. I feel like it doesn't. I, I don't I don't really understand what happened here because the Braves weren't that far off. And supposedly all of last season after winning the World Series, he's like, you know, I'm a lifelong Brave, blah, blah, blah. Want want to be here forever, all that stuff. So either he I I I I can really seeing now the terms he ended up accepting from the Dodgers versus the terms he could have accepted from the Braves. I see only four plausible explanations here. One, he didn't he just didn't mean what he was saying about wanting to be a lifelong brave. Two, he did mean it, but he had a change of heart this offseason. He was at home in California. And, oh, it's really nice here. I don't know that I want to do that that working across the country thing anymore. Just changed his mind. Okay. Three, his agent is completely incompetent and overplayed his hand and was nickel and diming the one team that Freddie Freeman really wanted to play for and he got screwed because of it or four what was four four <laughs> was that um, Freddie Freeman just didn't communicate his wishes to his agent very well those are the four plausible scenarios I see for how this played out to me the I least sad I think you're leaving one out I'll take more. I'll, I'll take whoever gives me the most money, but well, that would seem to contradict with like number we have, one. We have reports that the Braves apparently didn't communicate with Freddie Freeman their intentions to trade for Matt Olson, and so that indicates potentially. I, I feel like that falls into. I feel like that falls into category three, agent incompetence. But I. But that's. Nickel but if, if. But I. See, I, I I think you're leaving out the potential that just like he felt disrespected by the Braves. Like I'm the I'm the guy who won MVP. I'm the guy who helped carry your team to this point. I know you guys are printing money, 314 million in profit over the past five seasons. I know that in 2028, when you guys are so terrified about the prospect of me making four million dollars than Matt Olson. That you're going to be paying 24 million combined when, for Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna. When you say you intend to be a lifelong brave, there is. I don't think a, that means you have to take a, a hometown discount. Well, you're kind of implying it, right? I don't think so. Okay. I think it also implies that, like, yeah, I want to be here, but I'm I'm owed a level of respect from the franchise. Well, look what the Dodgers gave him. They didn't respect him that much more. I mean, they gave. They met his. They met his wishes. He wanted the Only sixth year. The, the Braves never gave him a sixth year. Only after the door was closed. I don't I, think that's true. Okay. You think you think the Braves traded for Matt Olson, and all of a sudden the Dodgers are like, "Oh crap, we got to add a sixth year." That Freddie Freeman had less leverage. True. Well, they, he could have taken it earlier. Right. To me, that that potentially says that he wanted the Braves to offer more. Right. And when they didn't, he said, screw you. I, I, okay, getting back to my four points. I think <laughs> number two, number two, which was, I'm forgetting what the numbers were now. Number, number two. two was he had a change of heart in the offseason to just want to stay home. That is the least, that's the, that's the one that's not as sad as the others to me. So that's the one I choose to believe. And the thing is, we're, like, we're never going to find out. Maybe, maybe he'll write, you know, his memoir after he retires and we'll find out then. But almost certainly we won't find out before then. So you, you just got to pick what you believe and, and go forward with that. So hopefully just, that was I, a good enough rate. I need to see Alex Anthopoulos cry one more time to really believe it. <laughs> uh, Scott, I feel like 
we're getting, you know, not yet, obviously, you know, you've, you've got to mourn the loss of, of Freddie Freeman, but we're getting closer to closing the door, especially after your son drew that fantastic picture that you posted on Twitter, right? Try and cheer you up. Oh, yeah. See if I got it here. <laughs> Look at this. So, so what this says is, I hope you feel better soon. And I kind of gave him a funny look when he gave it to me. And he's like, not because, not like because you're sick, because you're sad that your favorite player is gone. Ah, oh, that's great. So I, mean, I was I, like, I, wow, I'm, I am really, I'm really mopey, aren't I? <laughs> I think we're, we're just at stage three. Monday was anger. Den- Monday was denial. Tuesday was anger. Today's bargain. That sounds like bargaining to me, baby. <laughs> Tomorrow's depression. By Friday, you're off Friday, Scott. Friday's acceptance day. There you go. There you go. Let's get back into the news and notes. I do want to get to some rankings <laughs> debates as well today. Uh, mentioned some good prospect news earlier with Bobby Witt. Let's get to the bad prospect news. Adley Rutschman shut down with a tricep strain. Manager Brandon Hyde is hopeful that Rutschman will be out for just two to three weeks. Uh, Scott, do you just avoid Adley Rutschman right now with this injury? Yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be really hard to stash an extra catcher on your roster. That's why I've seemed less eager to draft him in the first place, because I, while I think there's a pretty good chance Witt makes the Royals opening day roster, I think there's almost no chance Rushman, even if he was healthy, would have made the Orioles roster. So yeah, I, in two catcher leagues, maybe I draft him. In one catcher leagues, he's outside the top 12 for me. All right. Which one's the tricep? Is that this guy back here, or is that the forearm? Yeah, it's tri- that tricep guy back, is back there. here. Yeah. Okay, so back here. Side of your so that, that's that's less concerning, I guess. If it had been like a forearm, then maybe it'd be like, ah, you know, we've seen this before with an Orioles catcher. You know, you don't want to have Tommy John surgery. That would be a worst case scenario for a catcher, especially um, triceps injury. I don't, I don't worry too much about it. I hopefully it doesn't delay his timetable too much. But yeah, I think it. He's not going to open the, ma- the 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 year on the major league IL, so you're not going to be able to put him in an IL spot. So it does make it a little trickier. The Padres officially signed Nick Martinez to a four-year, $20 million deal, and it looks like he's going to be in the Padres' rotation. That's the guy who used to pitch for the Rangers. If you've been playing fantasy baseball for a couple of years, 2014 to 2017, he wasn't great, uh, but... Last year in Japan, kind of like reinvented himself. 1.62 ERA, almost a strikeout per inning. A name just to watch in deeper leagues. NL only, uh, a, you know, deeper mixed 15-team roto leagues, stuff like that. Jeremy Pena was named the front runner for the Astros' starting shortstop job. Unless, of course, they signed somebody like Carlos Correa or Trevor Story. Last year in 37 minor league games, Jeremy Pena hit 297 with 10 homers and 6 steals. Another name to watch in deeper leagues. Amir Garrett was traded to the Royals in exchange for Mike Miner. According to Reds GM Nick Crawl, Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley will not be traded. Not sure that I believe that. Deep league bullpen information. Tyler Wells of the Orioles may be moved into a multi-inning role this season. So I've seen Cole Sulcer, Jorge Lopez thrown out there, Tanner Scott's name, uh, it's the Orioles closer, so it's not great anyway. The Cubs signed both David Robertson and Chris Martin. Maybe compete in the back end there with uh, Rowan Wick. Can we get a cold play drop for when we mention Chris Martin? Maybe just the no, Frank. Don't, you don't you don't got that one? No, no. I know what I know. Coldplay is, but is that Chris Martin is the lead singer of Coldplay in addition to being the new Cubs uh, or reliever? Gotcha, gotcha. Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could work something in. I don't know how often we're going to talk about Chris Martin, though. Uh, and if you are wondering about Matt Chapman, Kyle Schwarber, I mean, there were so many moves today. Seiya Suzuki, Eddie Rosario, Fernando Tatis had surgery. Chris Sale is hurt. Uh, Chris and I did an emergency podcast earlier on Wednesday, so you can listen to that to get our thoughts there. Uh, and Scott wrote a bunch about all of it on on the site. So cbsports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Before we hit the break... The madness is here. Don't miss a moment of the action on CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV. And download the March Madness live app to watch every game, anywhere, anytime, live. And if you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on throughout the course of the tournament, you need to be listening to the Eye on College Basketball podcast. It's your audio guide for the entire 
tournament, and everything you need to know about your brackets. Over the next few weeks, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander will provide recaps after each day of tournament action and preview upcoming rounds. If you want the best March Madness analysis, follow and listen to the Eye on College Basketball podcast anywhere you find this one. We'll take a quick break when we return. Rankings debates, Scott versus Chris. Next, Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, so let's jump in. And the way that we will do this, I'm timing you guys. You get to make your case for your ranking of each player on this list, and you will have no longer than a minute per player. Maybe less than that. I don't know. I'll decide as we go along. But we will start with Aaron Nola, who Scott has as his SP12, and Chris has all the way up at SP7. Mm, Optimistic on the bounce back. Uh, So we will start with Chris. You are up first. Are you ready to go? Aaron Nola. Yeah. Go. You're on the clock. So part of this, I think, is I don't know if Scott has moved Zach Wheeler uh, lower than this place. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. But look, for me, it's just that Aaron Nola, for as bad as he was last season, 463 RA, nothing in his underlying numbers really jumps out to me to explain why it happened. It was, he struggled with runners on base. It seemed like there was bad, blanking on the term, but just bad luck, generally speaking. Like His ERA, his FIP, his XFIP were all well within the normal ranges of his career, 337 actually across the board, which is weird. XERA, FIP, and XFIP all agree that he was about a run and a half better. He's someone that you can pretty regularly rely on for big innings, big strikeout totals. And um, yeah, I just don't think there's been a significant change in skill set. So I just trust him more than the guys going as low end uh, SP1s. Bad job, Chris. You went over by seven seconds. So I will dock that off the next time that you talk about a player. I mean, I don't have like a clock in front of me. <laughs> I'll hold it so up next like, time. I'll hold my phone up. Yeah, it's like, this isn't, what, what this isn't PTI. We don't have the ding going on. Come <laughs> That's on. fair. Uh, all right. So Chris made the case for Aaron Nola. And, and Scott, I don't think that you're you're necessarily down on Nola, but uh, Chris is just more excited about him than you are. So uh, why do you have Nola ranked at SP12 rather than inside the top 10? Well, I mean, I basically agree with everything Chris said, except for the last sentence that um, I, what did he say? I feel, I feel. I trust him more than some of the other. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, we just saw what can go wrong for Aaron Nola and it was worse than I think could go wrong for Sandy Alcantara or Julio Arias. Plus, there's just a little bit of, like, I don't know, gamesmanship, I guess, where I don't feel like I have to rank higher, Aaron Nola higher than this to draft him, you know? So that that's part of it, too. All right, good job, Scott. You only used 46 seconds. You'll, you'll earn more time later on. Um, yeah, look, the biggest issue for Aaron Nola last year, he gave up so many fly balls. So it's just like different than what we've seen from him in the past. And, and ultimately it led to more home runs and you know, he got hit around a little bit here and there. Uh, and that is true, but XERA and XFIP in theory account for that. And they don't suggest that he was anywhere near as bad. That, that, that's, that seems like the obvious explanation. He did have his lowest ground ball rate of his career, 40%, but 
it led to, it, it was tied to a lower home run to fly ball ratio. So it didn't actually lead to that many more home runs. I don't think that explains it. It's weird. Aaron Nola is just weird, man. You look at his his career ERA, like just by season, 4.63 last year, 3.28 the year before, 387, 2.37, 3.54, 4.78, 3.59. So he's jumped around all over the place. He's fine. I don't want him as my SP1. That's what it comes down to for me. If he's, you know, if I invest in pitching early and he winds up as my SP2, fine, but I don't feel good about him as my SP1 personally. Let's move on to the next one. Scott has Logan Webb at SP18 and Chris has him down at SP32. We have talked about Logan Webb quite a bit recently, but I don't know that we've heard Scott's side of it enough. So, Scott, make the case for Logan Webb being a top 20 starting pitcher. Well, Frank, he was a stud over the final three months last year. A stud in every respect. And that was after returning from a shoulder injury. He went six innings plus in 12 of his final 14 starts, 268 ERA. Uh, you know, just taking into account his full season stats, he his ground ball rate was higher than any qualifier. I think it was behind Framber Valdez by a significant margin. Framber Valdez was also a non-qualifier. But like ground balls are something we know Webb's capable of all along. And so, I mean, the fact that he's proven he can consistently pitch deep into games and his skill set is so suited for run suppression and he's in that big park and he's got that great supporting cast. It's just like all the... He checks all the boxes except for... You know, he's he's only done it once. He's only done it once. Chris has brought up the point that it came out of nowhere, but I, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of uh, dispute that. I kind of dispute that because I was really high on him going into last season. You know, he's unveiling this new changeup in spring training. Was getting a lot more whiffs. He didn't use it super consistently last year, but there were games where it looked like his best pitch. So, um, yeah, I think. I think more likely than not, Logan Webb is legit, and there's only so there are only so many assurances you can get at starting pitcher anyway. All right, a minute and forty seconds. How dare you, Chris? Yeah, I felt like a long time. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna. It, 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 I took a winding path to my. We're gonna path. string me up for an extra seven seconds. Seems unfair. That's I might just have to ban Scott from the next one. No, Sounds I, like I, the judge is biased. I think we need him. I, I think we need Scott around. Uh, all right, Chris, you have Logan Webb much lower. SP32, make the case against. Yeah, I've got him as a bust, and partially it's concerns that what we saw last season wasn't entirely real. You know, I, I feel like there's an overreaction to that 14-start stretch or whatever small sample size you want to cut it up into. It's a small sample size nonetheless. He made 19 starts before 2021. Yes, he made changes to his arsenal, and that's great, but he was really bad in those first 19 starts. And, you know, his minor league track record is good, but not necessarily the kind of production that screams future ace. 327 ERA, 1-3-2 whip, 8.2K per nine. So there's a lot riding on this 14-game stretch being reflective of a legitimate and real change in his skill set, in addition to the fact that he missed time with a shoulder injury last season. That's always a red flag. We're seeing it with Jack Flaherty right now. I, I think shoulder injuries are as concerning as anything else for pitchers. All right. <laughs> you almost got it there. All right. that The case against Logan Webb, uh, you've... You talked me out of him a little bit, Chris, recently. More so the shoulder injury than anything. Uh, I, I like the changes he made to the pitch mix last year. Obviously, the ground balls are fantastic. It's a great venue. It's a great organization to pitch for, too. So uh, I lean closer to like where his ADP is at, but I understand the concerns. With the I, I don't know why the shoulder injury is concerning when he's already... like The best stretch of his career came after it. So the shoulder's obviously okay. It's fair. Right? Yeah, like, I mean, what are we worried about? I don't know if it's okay though. Like, that's the thing is that, well, like, how would he have pitched so well if it was okay? Well, because we we see guys pitch through, come back from injuries, look like themselves, and then suffer setbacks. Like, that's not something that's out of the question. That's not something that we don't see. So, I just, I don't think that necessarily proves that it's not a risk. He's a pitcher, 
who had a not insignificant shoulder injury last season. I don't, I don't see how that can't be viewed as a red flag. And just because we haven't heard about it yet in spring doesn't mean that we won't. <laughs> just well, the way that the we injury. What's up? What, what was what was the injury that was so significant? What was it called? I mean, he missed like eight weeks with a shoulder injury. That that alone is not nothing. Well, yeah, but he's a major league. Whatever. I don't. I don't. I don't agree. I don't agree. Well, that's good. But like you. You were about to say, yeah, he's a major league pitcher, but yeah, the the baseline injury risk is incredibly high for all pitchers. So when you're when you're inviting it in with a guy who, one, it's a small sample size that we're judging him off of. Like we're effectively where he's being drafted and ranked this year. To a certain extent, we're kind of saying everything before the shoulder injury just doesn't really matter all that much. Well, that's how progression usually works, yeah. Mm. Right, assuming he's progressing and assuming that there's no injury risk. I think though there are compounding risks in his f- f- profile. All right, let's move on to another pitcher here, and it's Trevor Rogers, who Scott has at SP34 and Chris has at SP24, so 10 spots higher for Chris in the rankings. A breakout season, 2.64 ERA, 1.15 whip, only through 133 innings. Uh, Scott, you are up first, the case against Trevor Rogers. Yeah, I just think, I mean, a lot of the same things Chris was saying about Logan Webb, you could apply to Trevor Rogers as well. He wasn't that much of a prospect. He got hit very hard when we saw him in 2020. He had three months last year where he looked amazing, and we thought, oh, maybe this guy's emerging as an ace. But then over the final two months, significantly, much less than amazing, much less than amazing. The ERA was near four. He didn't go six innings in any of his last 11 starts, I believe it is. Uh, and, and more than anything, the swinging strike rate difference between his first, how many was it, 16 starts. 16% swinging strike rate in his first 16 starts versus 11% in his final nine. So that would suggest that it wasn't just bad luck. It wasn't just the Marlins playing it safe with him. Uh, I, I'm not convinced I know who Trevor Rogers is as a pitcher. And so that's, that's a lot to pay considering. All right. But a little bit better that time over by like five, six seconds. Chris, the case for Trevor Rogers, one of the, I guess, new age stallions. I know you guys used to have like the old crew. Oh, of he's stallions. definitely a stallion. Yeah. They're, they're, the stallions are, are still in force and each one is more magnificent than the last. The thing about Trevor Rogers, I think there's this perception that Trevor Rogers is, I don't know that he's had this history of injuries that is the reason why the Marlins were careful with his innings last season. And it was really, that really hasn't been the case. He actually threw 136 innings in 2019 over 23 starts. So it's, it's not like he missed a ton of time. He made 17 starts in 2018. That was his first season as a professional. I don't know if there was an injury there. Maybe there was, but I don't think the limited innings were a, red flag moving forward. I think it was the Marlins managing his innings. And yeah, the the second half numbers weren't as good. I think there were extenuating circumstances there, particularly with the fact that he missed in the entire month of August dealing with a family issue, not an injury. I don't know if there's like a perception of that as well, but it wasn't a, an injury. We don't know when he learned about the issue, how long it, it might have been going on, but that's the kind of thing that we just like, we don't know what was happening there, but the upside we saw from Trevor Rogers, as good as Logan Webb was in the second half last season, the upside we saw from Trevor Rogers was, I think, significantly higher because we were talking about a guy who was running up strikeout rates in the 30 plus percent range. The He basically has three really good swing and miss pitches. He doesn't have the high ground ball rate, but his batted ball data is actually really good. It was actually really good in 2020 as well in limited sample size. So, I just think we're we're looking at a pitcher in Trevor Rogers who does pretty much everything you want a pitcher to do well, with the exception of ground balls, and he mitigates that by not giving up loud contact. So in terms of skill set, I think he's a potential top twelve guy. Mercy. All right, we have our longest debate of the day. And it comes from Chris Towers, but a good one. Uh, Trevor Rogers, lots of upside. Same thing with Logan Webb. Um, it's a great ballpark to pitch in for Rogers. They developed the changeup last year. It, it was a great pitch for him. I, I'd like to see him use the slider more. It, it's a really good 
whiff pitch for him, but the usage on a, a start to start basis was pretty inconsistent mm-hmm. for Trevor Rogers. Um, and the innings, I don't know. What does he get to? Like 150, 160, hopefully. Uh, I think that would be a nice mark for Trevor Rogers to aim for. Next up, we have another starting pitcher, one of the top prospects in the game, Shane Boz, who Scott has at SP37. Chris has all the way down at SP55. Chris, we will start with you first this time. But before that, just want to read out the numbers. Shane Boz was ridiculous last year. 17 starts in the minors, 206 ERA, 0.80 whip, 113 strikeouts to 13 walks. Over 78 and two-thirds innings pitched. Chris, why are you uh, more out on Shane Boz than Scott is? I don't know if I even have much interest in debating this one because I'm, I'm not really doubting the talent with Shane Boz. It's more just a question of how much can you rely on him? I think when he pitches, it's entirely possible that for the time he's active, he's a top 36 starting pitcher and maybe higher. But... He threw 91 innings last season, maybe 94 or 95, including the postseason start. That's a that's an especially low number, and that would require a, an incredibly conservative Tampa Bay Rays team to, I mean, what, do a 50-inning jump to get him to the point where you're not worried that he's either going to be shut down at some point or severely limited? So I just... I don't know what the shape of a season for Shane Boz is where he finishes as a top 40 starting pitcher. All right, good job. 47 seconds there. Scott, what are you thinking about Shane Boz this year? What is a fair innings projection this upcoming season? I, I, w- I can't really see him going past like 140. So it, it's just where in your rankings are you comfortable accepting less than a full workload from a pitcher? That's really what it comes down to. And I have... I have Boz behind all the guys who I think are capable of doing what he does or, or nearly like of, of delivering something close to ace level production over more innings than he's going to pitch. And, and kind of Boz is the top pitcher I rank after that group. So I have him behind, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have him behind like Adam Wainwright and Chris Bassett, big innings eaters, both of them. Uh, I have him behind Dylan Cease and even Trevor Rogers and Shane McClanahan. All of those guys have innings concerns themselves, though not as stark. So it's, you know, it's just a, a, rather than settling for the Sean Manaya, Nathan Avaldi, Tyler Malley tier, who almost certainly aren't going to give you ace level production, even if it's over more innings. Uh, I, I think I'd rather have Shane Boss. It's worth pointing out, though, that in, I can't remember a single mock where I've been in a position to draft Boz, so I don't see much reason to move him down. If I was drafting him way too much, it'd be it'd be different. Yeah, there's a lot of people who like him, and, and rightfully so. The talent is there. The stuff is ridiculous for Shane Boz. We saw it final three starts of the season where he was in the majors. He looked great. It's just, you know, what is the workload going to look like? We have that concern for a lot of pitchers going in a similar range. You know, Clayton Kershaw and Pablo Lopez with his shoulder, and Carlos Rodon with his shoulder, so Lots of injury concerns or and or workload concerns for young starting pitchers like Shane Boz. Let's get to some outfielders here. I'll admit, going through your guys' rankings, the infield, you're very on par with each other. Same page. It was very hard to find rankings debates. But outfield, there are a few rankings that are all over outfield's, the place here. Gosh, outfield's my least favorite position to rank. It's even worse than starting pitcher. You'd think yeah. pitcher would be worse because there's so many more, but something about the outfield, it's just like, there are so many redundancies, it feels like. I feel like you probably could have chosen Luis Arias for like three different positions. Yeah, but we talk about Arias a lot, and we already know by now that you love him and Scott doesn't. So <laughs> I feel like people have heard about uh, Arias enough. Uh, and maybe, you know, we talk about Lourdes Gurriel a lot, but I haven't heard Scott's thoughts on him. So Scott has him at outfielder 41, and Chris has him all the way up at outfielder 30. So Scott, why so low on Lourdes Gurriel? Oh, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to pull up my rankings here quickly enough, but I think it's probably more a matter of there are just other outfielders that I feel like I need to take ahead of him, like Marcelo Zuna and Jorge Soler, who I know I moved ahead of him today. Uh, Soler just has so much power potential, and I think I think what we saw from him in the second la- half last year is closer to his truer form. Ozuna, it's looking more and more like he's going to be an everyday player for the Braves. And if that's the case, I mean, he was the top outfielder in fantasy two years ago. So certainly would take him over Lourdes Gurriel. 
Uh, Jared Kelnick, I know, is a, just a few spots ahead of Guriel, and he has massive breakout potential. I, I like Guriel fine, and I, I love the lineup context. I just think I'm more. I just think the ceiling for those players is higher, and it's at a point in the draft when I'm I'm looking more towards ceiling. Mm, Fifty-seven seconds. All right, good job, Scott. Uh, Chris, help me out here, bud. You know I'm all in on Lourdes Guriel. Are you as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, not all in because there is a, a little bit of me in the back of my mind that like, is Lourdes Guriel just a guy? Mm. I don't know because the the best we've seen of him came in two partial seasons, 2020 and then 2019. But over those two seasons, he was 31 homers and a 290 batting average over 141 games. So he, if that's who he is in this Blue Jays lineup, then he's going to be awesome. He even stole nine bases. And I think you have a pretty good explanation for why he was so underwhelming for so much of last season. That's that he was dealing with a knee injury. And you can see that in the fact that he only attempted four stolen bases in 141 games after attempting 14 in the previous 141. So that seems like a pretty good excuse um, for Guriel being down last year. And I just, it's a relatively cheap opportunity to get a bite of what could be the best lineup in baseball with a guy who's proven he can be productive. So that that's mostly what it is. But I don't disagree that Marcelo Zuna might have more upside or, you know, Jared Kalanick, it's theoretical, but there, there's certainly upside there as well. Yeah, oh, you know what? The two that I think might be most questionable that I have ahead of Guriel are Robbie Grossman and Hunter Renfro. Those, I that, about, yeah. I talk about Renfro a lot and why I like him. He was the 19th best outfielder in Roto last league, and I think it was legit. Grossman is... Nobody Weird. seems to want Grossman, and I, I get it. I, he's not a very talented player, but he did go 20-20 last year. He's always done a good job getting on base, so I think his job's going to be safe because of that. And it's just like, he's just a nice fit for that stage of the draft if, if you're, you're looking for some home run help. Yeah, right. I mean, stolen speed. base help, stolen base help. Yeah, like he stole 20 bases, and that was his first double-digit season, but... He stole eight in 51 games in 2020 as well. So this it is last year a was new his first thing as an he, everyday player. Yeah, it's a new thing that he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Robbie Grossman, one of 10 players to, to go 2020 last season. So uh, quite the accomplishment there for him. Let's talk about Joey Gallo, who Scott has at outfielder 43. Chris has at outfielder 33. Uh, I feel like we kind of know who Joey Gallo is at this point, but batting average is just... So bad. Chris, we will start with you. The case for Joey Gallo rebounding with the Yankees. Yeah, you know, he reminds me of like Billy Hamilton back in the day where at the end of the season, you would look at where he finished in various roto formulations. And it's like, really? Billy Hamilton was that good? I feel like Joey Gallo could be that kind of guy. Uh, But it's also like there are so few players with the legitimate difference-making power that Joey Gallo has. I mean, we talk about like, Kyle Schwarber as someone who we're, we think can be a 40 homer guy. Well, Joey Gallo's done it twice. And he hit 38 last season. And if you ask any Yankees fan last season, they will tell you that he's the worst player in baseball. So, like, that kind of tells you, like, I don't, I think last year was closer to a worst case scenario for him than the most likely. I think 77 RBI especially feels low for a guy who hits 30, 38 home runs. And it's just, it's about as safe a power bat as you can get, assuming that the team that you build can live with the low batting average. In an on-base percentage league, I think he's actually quite safe, and I think he's a top 60 player. That's true. I would agree with you there. On-base percentage, huge boost for Joey Gallo. Uh, Chris, try explaining to Yankee fans this uh, 160 batting average that he had in 58 games uh, while he was playing with the Yankees. It was it was quite bad. He didn't do it personally to you. Yeah. No. I just want you to understand that. <laughs> he was uh, too, he didn't, too busy. He wasn't uh, screaming every Yankees fan's name as he struck out. Too busy worrying about how he was putting his uniform on or taking it off or whatever he was doing. It's, I don't know, weird routine that he has going on. Scott, the case against Joey Gallo. Look, it's as simple as I don't want him, and so I've ranked him to ensure that I don't get him. <laughs> it's really as simple as that because he's just such a a difficult fit. He's mm-hmm. a difficult fit, and I think I think Adam Duvall, not exactly because you know Gallo gets on base more, and the ultimate power ceiling is higher. But 
I, I feel like you can get Duvall so much later if you really want to make a power ground in the power categories at expense of batting average. Um, and you, you can't really have both on the same team. That's a bad idea. Yeah, part of the reason I don't want Gallo is just because I don't trust myself to manage him correctly. He is so streaky. And like when he's bad, there's just nothing happening there. And it can be for weeks at a time. And I don't, I don't trust myself to ride it out, to keep taking those awful stats and not try and not try and improve my team's standing while I'm waiting for Gallo to get back on track. I trust him to get back on track. I don't trust myself to to trust him to get back on track in the moment it's happening. <laughs> this kind of gets to like the old uh I feel like it was an Anthony Rizzo debate, the like he's due or he's streaky thing that we used to do with with Adam and like with Gallo, it's like, oh, he's streaky, so ride him while he's hot. And it's like, well, yeah, but do you he, ever really know when a player is and isn't hot unless it's after the fact? Like, yeah, you know when a player point. is present. Yeah, no, no, point. that's what I'm saying is that you yeah. know when a player is presently hot. Mm-hmm. But does that really tell you all that much about whether they are likely to continue to be hot moving forward? I think No. And so I agree with you. Like he, he's just a frustrating player, and it's the kind of guy that like you have to intentionally build your team, mm-hmm. and then intentionally ride it. Yeah, and that's really difficult to do. I've tried to do it before. Yeah, I've tried to do it before, and I hated it. <laughs> I just hated it. I hated having Gallo, so I don't want him anymore. <laughs> no, that's fair. Uh, yeah, a very frustrating player when he's cold, but a very fun player to watch when when he's going hot. Uh, let's just do one more here. One, someone I feel like we haven't talked about at all, really, this offseason. Uh, Avisa El Garcia, who signed with the Miami Marlins. Uh, he is outfielder 60 for Scott. He is outfielder 45 for Chris. And Scott, we'll start with you this time. Uh, why so low on Avisa El Garcia? Well, he was he's coming off career best numbers having played a season in Milwaukee, he's going opposite end of the spectrum here now for hitters in Miami. We, we saw the way Christian Yelich's career was transformed going the other way. And uh, let me tell you, skills-wise, Garcia ain't, Garcia ain't no Yelich. So uh, I, he doesn't put the ball in the air that much, and I don't think he hits it hard enough, consistently enough, to deliver a re- respectable home run total in that park. I think he, he needs a smaller, at least neutral park. And if he's not giving you home runs, like what else is he doing for you? Batting average. Meh. Maybe, maybe double digit steals, but probably not. Doesn't get on base a ton. So he's not going to score many runs and bad lineup context on top of it. So yeah, I just, I don't think I, I, I see him as somebody you stream off waivers really. And I, I don't, I don't have much interest in drafting him. I find the home run to fly ball ratio curious too. Last year, 26%, and he was at 17% for his career. So can you know he keep that up in Miami? Chris, what do you think? Can he do it? For what it's worth, the expected numbers were actually even better for him, which has been a consistent theme throughout his career in the StatCast era. There has only been one season back in 2017 when he outperformed his expected stats. That's weird. Yeah, um, and, and ex- expected stats also account for the venue he's playing in, right? So, uh, yeah, but not environmental factors, and they don't account for yeah. speed. He is a you know a quite fast player, so that would actually be something that you would think might work in his favor, but it hasn't been the case so far. But no, I, I get it, and I think there's there are a lot of reasons to think he's a relatively un, unexciting player. But I also look at the the numbers over the past five seasons. You know, he he really took a step forward in 2017 in in a lot of respects. And there's been ups and downs since then. He's had two really bad seasons, one really good one, two two good ones, I would say, and then one kind of mediocre one. But overall, his 162-game pace, 278 average, 26 homers, 90 RBI, 8 steals, 81 runs. It's not a great lineup, but I don't think the counting stats, if he does that, I don't think the counting stats will be so bad that he's unplayable. And I do think there's a lot to like about the underlying skill set that he's shown over the last few years. He, I do think he hits the ball hard enough to be, you know, not a 26% home run to fly ball ratio guy like he was, but, you know, maybe high teens. 
And if he can be a 25 plus homer guy and potentially steal 10 bases and potentially be pretty useful in batting average, I just, I think there's a lot of guys with a profile like that that we chase. And obviously, Garcia gives you a very cheap opportunity to get that kind of profile. All right, let's just quickly check the ADP on Avisel Garcia. He is going right now 174.4. So going uh, just behind Marcelo Zuna. You know, it's, it's yeah, not... I would rather have Marcelo Zuna. Of course. You know, yeah. Assuming he's playing the, the normal role and, and that. Yeah, his numbers will be better. Yeah, and Ozuna... I know, Scott, you mentioned him earlier. He's climbed inside the top 40 outfield ranks for each of us. So I think he's right around 35 or 36. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if he has a good spring, could see him uh, potentially climbing even more. But we are going to wrap there. Who won the rankings debates? Let us know in the YouTube comments or tweet at us and we'll talk about it. Let's have some fun. Uh, Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back in tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.